Times the charm where niches need. I'm your producer, Ben, alongside the Shea Butter himself, Monty. The return of our director, Matt. We have a lovely episode right now. Today we have three films to talk about. We have two horror-ish. They're supposed to be horror or horror adjacent. And then we have our big main event where we're going to be talking what is most popularly known as the color of pomegranates, but as we're going to find out, it should be called Sayat Nova. Largely considered to be one of the greatest films of the of its era, and one of in in some circles considered one of the best films of all time. Mm-hmm. The one it was it was actually introduced to me by a uh, old friends of mine from Armenia. Oh, even better. And in the meantime, Matt. You were out on the prowl at Jim's Fest. I was, and I'm back. Uh, I, I hope you all enjoyed the interviews we listed. Ben, Monty, uh, I assumed you both dedicatedly listened to every second of the interviews. Uh, what did you guys think of what our uh, our noble musicians of the world had to say? I thought you met some really cool people. Um, everyone sounded just really nice and dope. Um Slime. Yeah, I I really want to go to Jim's Fest now. I want to, yeah, I, I wonder if you can, like, find, find a way to get them for interviews. That would be pretty cool for, like, the next Well, that, that's, a, that, that's a good shout-out, Monty. Especially Puddle because... Slime. I really like Puddle Slime's yeah. vibe. Puddle Slime is a, a great, great, great band and great group of performers. We'll have to have them on someday. Um, I also I also really want to have uh, Jorge on for a longer discussion about running tapes and the world mm-hmm. of tape marketing. Uh, in addition to Satan and all the other ba- bands I talked to, I just wanted to take a quick minute to shout out and talk about how cool the uh, the show was. I wasn't here last week, obviously, as I was traveling the United States. Um, Wait, I but thought you were you were lost in Ben's closet again. Well, no, you said you weren't going to talk about it. Oh, you said he Ben didn't (laughs) confirm or deny whether I was in his closet or not. That's Um, right, Matt. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I I was I was in I was in Michigan, but we're going to talk about that later. But before we jump into our three films, I just want to take another moment to shout out Gems Fest and shout out Jorge and Livewire Lounge uh, for hosting one of the coolest things that's happening, I think, in the world of music right now. I, Jorge did a, an amazing job. He was a wonderful dude to hang out with, both before, during, and after the interview. So were all of the other bands. Uh, shout out to the other bands that um, Splatterpunk from Satan is touring with, uh, the Queers and the Jasons. Um, he's currently playing guitar for the Queers on tour, who are an incredible band. Um, and uh, I just loved every second of the show. Satan crushed it again with a killer performance. Um, as you, as you heard in my interview with, ba- uh, Basil Vaught or whatever the hell I called, I said their name wrong every time I've said it. Um, truly incredible group of musicians, uh, a very unique interview. That's to be sure. Um, and an exciting kind of parallel into a beautifully long peaceful weekend, um, which was capped off with, uh, the movie we're going to talk about here at the end. Um, but I'm glad you guys kept the homework alive. Also, uh, uh, Okada and Tanahashi are some of the best wrestlers of all time. Um, but you mentioned the two people who were not featured exactly last week. <laughs> who's who's? Oh my God. I I will say Monty, if you haven't yet engaged with another wrestler who I feel like you would really like, um, who's my favorite Japanese wrestler, Shibata. 
um we'll have to watch some good shibata matches in the world and maybe do an episode on the headbutt hurt around the world wow, that's interesting he's named after a bread hell yeah oh is that, Isn't sh- that shibata or chibata Shabbat is the bread. Shabbat is a wrestler. Wow, that's actually a cool name for today. We are not talking about wrestling. We are talking about movies, film, cinema. And as we go into (laughs) our discussion, I want to make everyone know that you can walk away with a free horror DVD, random horror DVD. I haven't picked it out yet. All you got to do is send us on our Instagram proof. Got to follow us, and you got to send us proof that you gave us five stars on a streaming outlet. And if you do, this week, you will receive a free DVD. First person to do it. You got to be the first one, and boom, free DVD. You don't pay shit. Send me your address. I send it to you. Just Hell yeah. I was going to say, I could... A shitty movie. I could, I could I could pick out the DVD right now, actually. Yeah, you could, but we're not going to. Instead, oh, we are already. going to get into our homework because lessons are due, everyone. And, and if you're in the United States, school's just starting back up. So this is the perfect time for this format to really be kicking into its full stride. That's right. We are closing summer school, and we are now here with our full curriculum and we are starting out <laughs> with making me tingle. a horror movie that is near and dear to my heart. This was mm. my homework for Monty. It is not Return of the Living Dead, the seminal John Russo written classic that keys off of the original Night of the Living Dead. No, we mm-hmm. are talking about the sequel. We are talking about the Return of the Living Dead, part two. Deadly experiment. A freak accident. A secret that will be carried to the grave as the horror classic is reborn. Return of the Living Dead, Part 2. Jesse will be the first to know. Billy will be the first to go. We've got to get out of here. Get to a phone. Seven of the living against an army of the dead starved for life. thought it was safe to be dead. Soundtracks, kids falling through cemeteries. Zombies doing thriller dances. 
the brains <laughs> are back. This Michael Kenworthy vehicle, written and directed by 1987 Dark Tower's very own Ken Wiederhorn, shows that the next logical step from nuclear horror is comedy. <laughs> this, Matt, I know you've seen Return of the Living Dead Part 2. I gotta see this in theaters, no less. <laughs> I what what uh what what emotions come to you when you this think is, of Return of the Living Dead Part Two? It's it's one of those um, emotionally it brings me like raucous joy. Uh, it's a movie that at times annoyed me uh, in in <laughs> retrospect because every time I'd go to Blockbuster I'd get it confused with Nightmare on Elm Street, um, which has a Man. very similar cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the face in the cloud oh, cover. Yeah. Um, and I'd always think it was a, a, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, then accidentally pick it up and put it back. Um, and then <laughs> when I finally saw it in a theater, um, I thought it was it was a good time. Uh, for a movie that came out in 88, um, it brings me a lot of joy. This is a gateway movie. If if you have a kid who wants to get into yes. horror, yes, oh, okay, yeah, like like this is the movie you show them, just and like Santa Sagres, really how you get people in the Jodorowsky, same comparison. <laughs> sure, this <laughs> is the movie they got me into horror. Wow, okay, oh, yeah, really, yeah, because oh, this makes what so do you much mean, sense. Really, now? Monty, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. So you have terrible like, taste. Classics, like that 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 could have gotten you in. But, Monty, uh, I was a preschooler. No, that's true. Hey, I, was, I was like a my, grade my schooler. Pre- what what my, do you was, want from I me? Was, I was eight when this movie came out. So. I was four when I saw A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I was in grade I'm, I, I'm six. Normal. I think my friend had all the Nightmare on Elm Street from recorded from TV onto one co- VHS tape. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's actually funny, Matt, that you mentioned the... Uh, the cover of the movie mm-hmm. because the cover of the movie is evocative of something, but it's not nightmare on Elm street. Oh. They actually had to change the theatrical movie poster for return of the living dead part two, because it was too close to fright night. Oh, that's oh, yes. Right. That's, oh yeah. yeah. The fright night poster that's right. is yeah. like fucking identical. As it well. is virtually identical. Yeah. Pretty bad. I, I do. I like fright night quite a lot one. too. No, the, the, the part, part one poster is pretty iconic. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I won't deny. Although I only have one movie poster in my apartment, and that is Return of the Living Dead Part 2. This movie, in some ways, is the Evil Dead 2 to Return of the Living Dead's Evil Dead Part 1. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. A lot of the same actors, a lot of the same story beats... A lot of similarities, except now you have a kid in it, and mm-hmm. it's not super bloody, and it's not super violent, and it's outside just kind of, of like, a good time, yeah, outside of one or two vaguely, like vaguely scary for a kid scenes, it's a really good time. It's like goosebump scary. Yeah, yeah. There's not I, much gore in it, to be honest. Those are some of the best movies, though. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're just on the edge of being what you'd consider, like, an actual horror film that you can show them to almost anybody. 
Yeah, um, if there it's was like, it's a... like the um, what was the the um, Idle Hands? We watched oh, that yeah. recently. Yes, you know, a movie that's an excellent horror film, but really isn't scary. Or like yeah. some of the child's play movies, where like the worst thing outside of the gore, like where like the worst thing that happens is like an awkward jump scare. So, whereas in the first movie, the the seminal classic, everything takes place just outside of a cemetery. Uh, them trying to burn a zombified body brings the rest of the graveyard to life, and it leads to a nuclear explosion in the heart of Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> the sequel takes place in suburbia, where a can of trioxin falls off a military Ooh. truck. They screwed up again, and it ends up being set off by some rambunctious teenagers in the local graveyard. And it is up to a small child and his ragtag bunch of adults to save the day. It was, it's, uh, it, it was, the, the whole theme actually came from during the era. I still remember this in school where, um, you know, they were educating us like about recycling and environment and pollution and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's how... Like the first one, yeah, it was started from the smoke getting into the clouds, and then the, then the water pollutes the graveyard, waking up the dead. And this one it's is a like perfect commentary on nuclear. Yeah, this one is more like oh, new, uh, waste dump, and then it got into the waters, and then it's in the air, and yeah, it's an environmental film. It's an environmental themed, sorta. Yeah. Sort of. It's there. It's there. It's a zombie playground for for a kid movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, so this movie we we follow our our titular character. I I I know him as Michael Kenworthy. I don't know him by his actual name. I met Michael Kenworthy, the uh, actor Jesse, is his name in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Kenworthy is also. The boy from the Blob in the eighties, oh, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another classic. Did you watch that one? Oh uh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> the Blob. Yeah. Yeah, the Blob. It's a the remake of the original, the black and white one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I've seen the black and white one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of the stuff as my favorite Blob movie. This movie was written and directed by Ken Wiederhorn who, as I said before, was the director of The Dark Tower from 1987. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Really, He also really directed Shockwaves, King Frat, Eyes of a Stranger, 21 Jump Street, two episodes, <laughs> six episodes of Dark Justice, not The House on Haunted Hill, not even A House on Haunted Hill. He directed... A House in the Hills. Oh. That was a classic. He also directed Meatballs Part 2 and seven episodes of the TV series Freddy's Nightmares. Which we will, I promise you, will cover. I see, we, we made it back around to Freddy Krueger, so this is <laughs> yeah. one degree of separation from Freddy Krueger, man. We desperately... I mean, desperately need to cover Freddy's Nightmares episode by episode because it is a truly special TV show. But Freddy doesn't come, come, never makes an appearance in it, right? 
He's in the first episode. Let's try it. The first episode, Monty. Oh, come on! That's where we find out. Actually, Robert England's in every episode. Um, but that's where we find out that the reason that Cougar ended up getting murdered by the families is because he wasn't read his Miranda rights when he was arrested for molesting children. So he got out on a technicality, and then they killed him. And then we got uh, like Tales from the Crypt, as hosted by Robert England. Oh, that was good. Fucking great show. Uh, this film is... For, it, it's a walk and brawl. The zombies are more or less... They have a Return of the Living Dead Part 1 counterpart. Except, for example, the uh, zombified woman who talks about the pain of being dead in Part 1. Her seminal quote in Part 2 is... <laughs> Is it the same zombie? Uh, it's it's designed to look oh, eerily okay. similar. They're all it's very referential. Yeah. James Karen and Tom Matthews, the titular duo that started this whole nonsense, is a uh as the warehouse workers in Return of the Living Dead One, they're back, except now they're grave robbers. Oh, another interesting fact. The guy who plays uh the, the younger fellow, uh he, Tom was, he plays he plays uh tommy uh jason Voorhees's uh nemesis oh no That's shit right. this came out like right around the same time as as that monty give me your thoughts on this movie where are some highlights some lowlights i i remember watching it when i was a kid uh, i went to the video store to to borrow it and i thought it was a lot more easier to watch compared to the first one uh because it had some it had more comedic elements in it and i love that the hero is a kid so when i was a kid the first one's got graveyard sex what's wrong with that yeah but i didn't i kind of didn't like it and plus it was one of my first horror movies you know in the graveyard scene uh uh linnea i think her name is linnea yeah uh, quigley who plays the redhead mm-hmm. who yeah, trish, gets naked trash. and dances on top of the uh, crypts. Yeah. Oh, crypts. Yeah. She did this scene awesome. once with a cover on. Okay. And then they were like, and then she was like, you know, I can just do it fully, fully nude. And so she did it. She shaved and she did it fully nude. She shaved. And then they, yeah. this comes from her, okay? Yeah. This is, these are the details she thought to include, all right? So don't blame me. Where did she shave? Her head? Her pussy, Monty. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I thought you were leaving out details, so just helping you out, bro. Did you know the blue line, the blue electrocution lines in the final sequence of The Return of the Living Dead Part 2 cost over 50 thousand dollars to do because they were hand drawn yeah they had to hand draw it yeah that's pretty crazy yeah it's that's hollywood building at its finest someone someone really got paid each zombie movie in the lineage leading up to return of the living dead part two introduced something important to zombie lineage Mm -hmm. the first was in night of the living dead the whole concept of a modern day zombie Return of the Living Dead introduced the eating brains aspect. Yep. 
even Day of the Dead modernized the traditional, the trad <laughs> zombie movie. Yeah, it, re- it reinvigorated it. Part two, however, introduced what I feel like is the best way any movie has ever shown to kill a zombie. Okay. And that is electrocution. Yeah, I guess it it falls in line with, like, zombie canon about, like, disrupting the brainstem. Yeah, it falls in in line in canon. I feel like it makes more sense than cutting the head off or Ah. or just quote-unquote destroying the brain like it eh. it depends on your definite of your understanding of why they are reanimated if like if they're like if it's a virus that's controlling the brain destroying the brain works if it's like magic from the heavens it makes no fucking sense neither does electrocuting them then but like the only thing that makes sense for like truly magical zombies is to burn them or freeze them Well, freezing just just saves that for like a tomorrow problem. Yeah, but it stops them though because their their joints would become rigid, if, and if their corpses, if you like, them. if you like shatter their pieces, do like their individual pieces still seek out like organic matter? Like if, if you break mag- them down, if, yeah. If they're magical, I'd say they do. Okay. Well, That's let's not funny. forget there was one scene where the hand just gave everyone else the finger. So. Yeah, the hand gives people the finger. This is a movie about bits. People yeah. are like, yeah, Ben, where'd you is. get your sense of humor from? Probably Sci-fi from channel. this. There's a Harry Truman gag in here with the zombies. <laughs> yeah. There's a good-natured elderly doctor to counter the first movie's closet Nazi doctor. Yeah, that was problematic. Uh, but you my, know what? He's one of my favorite characters, actually. The, 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 the Nazi? No, yeah, no, no, he's very fun loving. Yeah, he's pretty funny and he's an alcoholic. <laughs> he actually did most of the acting, I have to say, in that film. <laughs> he chews up the scenery. The yeah. thing Michael I've... Kenworthy is a very convincing child actor. The the thing yeah. that I, I, I'm now realizing is I don't think I've ever, and I, I don't know if either of you have, have seen the movie with the, with the original score. I have. With the original theatrical score, yes, yeah, because I've I've only ever seen the pre two thousand. Oh, I guess when I saw it live, they probably used the original, because I because the original the version you rented from the movie store, Monty, did not have the original theatrical score. So the most there, recent oh. Blu-ray release also has yeah. it. There's, well, it says that yeah, the twenty eighteen Blu-ray release and all subsequent releases have had the original score added back in. But I will all say of the releases from the eighties don't have that original score. Uh, the VHS does, but like the first run did, and then the second runs didn't. Because mm. both Return of the Living Dead movies have had severe rights issues with, yeah. with music. That I will say, <laughs> the sequel's trioxin theme is not as good as the one as the first one's trioxin theme. Yeah, that's for sure. But for me, this movie was my entry to horror in that it was approachable. It's a fun, campy time. Doesn't waste your time. Nope. All, all the gags out. are good enough. The zombie kills are pretty satisfying. And um, it stays energetic and peppy. What it's like your, a real DNA for kill? like... It, it, it's a, it's like the good DNA for a 90s uh, movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of... It's, like it's like a proto-90s horror comedy. Like movies like Idle Hands or... Um, 
uh, why is it the faculty? Like those kind of like almost slapstick, but still horror, but fun teen kind of yeah, like coming like of the age horror now. It's yes, kind of yeah, like yeah. Uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Uh, no, not Showdown in Little Tokyo. Big Trouble in Little China. It's, it's yeah, but for a horror movie. For a horror film. Yeah, yeah, yes, I agree. Exactly. Wait, isn't Big Trouble in Little China technically horror? Or would you? It's an action say? movie. Oh, it's an, it's action, an action film. Movie. Okay, you guys see it that. It has it has some like horror ish sensibilities. It has a spooky villain, and that's kind of it. <laughs> Low yeah. pan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Right. So Monty, what 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 do you what would you give the movie overall? Well, You're official. Going. You you seem you seem whelmed by again. it. I didn't have the same feeling as I did when I was a kid. Um, I thought it was kind of hilarious and the dialogues now that i've learned how to watch movies the dialogue was kind of cheesy and a lot of stereotype like you know the 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 girlfriend that wants to get out of there doesn't end up getting out of there and she doesn't take advice from the the doctor when he advised her that it's, it, it does uh, you know. sort of have Bart Simpsonitis, where the yeah. kid is like the smartest person. Exactly. Well, no, actually, no. He does make a few key stupid mistakes. Yeah, he does. He 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 doesn't. He basically does what a kid does. He, they don't listen and follow instructions, and yeah, they they get themselves in trouble. But um, I say I had a like. I'll take Matt's quote. I had a fun time rewatching it. Um, it was a. To me, yeah, it, it felt shorter than I thought I remembered it to be. But, yeah, it, it was a good film. I have to say, the I, I love practical effects. Um, the, the the best kill, that's why I asked you earlier, you didn't answer me, what was your favorite kill? But my favorite kill was the, the zombie that got blown in half. And apparently they did hire uh, uh, an actor who only has... Uh, has no legs, has an upper torso to, to play. Yes, so, yes, they did. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. But the only thing is, I don't remember why that a gunshot or a damage, a blunt force hit to the head didn't kill the zombies. Doesn't make sense there. Because they need like. to be electrocuted. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. And, uh, and the cameo, the, the thriller zombie doing one last dance before he dies. That, that's just that awesome. was the best. That's a good part. Fucking at least time. thriller yeah. was relevant then, right? Yes. I like that. That's the one movie that can do it. <laughs> this is the movie. Oh, the first that sort of begets it. all like shitty zombie sequels later on. Well, like, like, this is like the one that I genuinely feel <laughs> did it well. Mm-hmm. And then any zombie movie that tries to do this afterwards, it kind of falls apart. Return of the Living Dead Part 3 came after this, and they mm-hmm. went totally straight with it, and it Which sucked. Which is so straight, because yeah. the poster and all of like the, like, she's to die for makes you think it's going to be another, like, raucous kind of, like, romp. Yeah, the Leo, poster like, is, like, a half-naked zombie well, chick. The, it's, like, almost the poster for Demons and Demons Part 2, which are... Not zombies, but another great they kind of slapstick They must have taken influence from species. You know, I have to say, <laughs> yeah, definitely. part three, part three species was, even. I was all right with part three, actually. I didn't mind it. it. It just, it was kind of weird that she became some 
character that you would find in a comic book. But. I'm I'm starting <laughs> I'm starting to think Monty like, that if you do ever come to the music box of horror, you're mm-hmm. gonna have a really like pulled in two directions between liking the movies they're showing and being really aggravated by all the just the ridiculous wacky bullshit. Monty, like, you they lost just, respect they, with me right there. They just they just announced that um uh a movie that I rate very similarly to this movie, mm-hmm. Child's Play Part Three. Um, oh boy! Is going to be one of the music box of horror films, and what? I and I kind of put this movie in that, is that regard. One, is that one military camp? Yeah, that's the military camp one, yeah. oh, <laughs> where he like fucks with the t- yeah the ruler yeah. scene. Like, there's a lot to d- dig into with that one. Um, <laughs> so, Monty, what's your, what's your official rating? What's your official charm score here? And what's your official charm? I would say two out of four, and Overall, I say two point five out of five. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it was fun. You know, it's it wasn't like magical. And I'll stick with my classic quote: "It was good. It wasn't great, but it was good." I got to relive my childhood again watching this. So, thanks, Ben. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> at Monty. At least it's not. Um, showstopper that, that, that that's true that, don't even true. fucking mention that movie give it a cool two out of four charms it's not the most you know inspired movie but i do give it a solid four out of five stars because what it sets out to accomplish it does very well Mm-hmm. Um, also heads up return of the living deads part four and five are better than you think they would be. Really? I, really? I, I is that necropolis and, uh, Dance grave to the, the grave. Rave yeah. To the grave to the grave is the <laughs> only one of those I've wanted to watch. I'm, I'm not saying they, they made both at the same out, time. Like, oh, incredible. Yeah. So if you like one, you like the other, I think that they're okay. in like a, I haven't seen Tarman in a while type of vibe. Ah, okay. Kind of like so a like hobo with a shotgun grab, experience. Yeah, so like sci-fi original movie, yeah. But like it's better than Ghost Shark. Hey, don't diss Ghost Shark. Ghost Shark's like one of the worst ones. What about Ghost Shark By the too? way, <laughs> in speaking of Ghost Shark, oh, let's God. talk about the Ming Shang Haunted House. Monty I, introduces so, to this fucking movie. I'm so happy I didn't watch this.
So this movie came out this year in Taiwan and it is actually based, if you guys recall my podcast with Ben, uh, when Matt disappeared into the void, uh, the last time we did talk about this haunted house. Um, and I actually went and visited it in, uh, in real life. So this one, it is kind of, a, a, I don't know if it's like, non yeah no it's a fictional story of the house and the timelines i don't think it made sense um mind you i didn't watch this film i have yet to get to it but i found out that it came out i knew they were working on it last year and i was like oh cool i get to hopefully it's it's good but i did see some preliminary reviews so i did warn ben that no, I, I do. No, you can listen back to last week's episode. He gave me the most <laughs> paltry shea butter warning. He's like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know, Ben. You know, I hey, haven't seen I, it yet. I so haven't I'll seen give it yet. You a heads up. Saying you haven't seen it yet means you haven't seen it yet. It doesn't mean it's going to be an abominably boring waste of eighty-four minutes of my life that I'm not going to get back. Look, I did. I haven't seen it yet. But I do know that I've watched some uh, YouTube. It's on YouTube for YouTube. free. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't yes. see it on YouTube. I watched the, the quick cut. You know how people narrate through amazing. a movie? So I do kind of know. Monty, this is so not in the spirit. <laughs> Fuck. But, yeah, if Matt well, did this, it'd be okay because he was gone. You were here. <laughs> You did this knowingly. No, I I thought this, the the short concept was all right. I didn't think it would be. I didn't know. I don't know how bad it is. So that's okay, why. Okay, let me I tell you. Check it out. Let me tell you. All right. <laughs> what happens when you have a horror movie with no fucking plot? You just <laughs> pretend like you're on the haunted mansion as we enter the Ming Shang Haunted House 2023's biggest waste of time. I am your sufferer in training, Ben, and boy, do I have nothing to tell you here as we follow a, a, a we follow a, a stupid family in a stupid house where nothing fucking happens, and then the ghost gets their revenge. And in I an want, interdimensional way. I mean, they go through a mirror. That, like, barely counts as interdimensional. Hey, like, we, we, we watched some interdimensional film. It was kind of similar to that. Like, okay. The ones that Matt showed Monty, us. Monty, so. to get no, us started. Movies. To get us <laughs> To get us started, Monty, what are the broad strokes? What are the spark notes of the real story of the tragedy at the Mingxiang Haunted House? The real story was, and I feel like I'm report, repeating myself with this one, but... Um, in case Matt didn't he listen to that last episode we talked about, the house, the story that I've heard, the urban legend was that the husband went on, husband had an, uh, it had a relationship with one of the, uh, the, the housemates 
in the house and got her pregnant, uh, but had to leave on a business trip. And Good when thing they didn't the, live in Texas. When the mistress found out about her being pregnant, she kind of, I'm, I'm giving the short version of it. She forced her to go to the well in front of the house and uh, forced her to jump into the well and drown herself, to killing her and her child. And uh, ever since then, it's brought bad omens to the family um the family kind of has been haunted by the spirit by this uh this uh this housekeeper uh or or maid um from in the house and yeah that's the general gist of it so the family had to leave the house and never return yeah okay that's not what happens in this movie yes Um, (laughs) just to start out the movie is about an abusive mother Mm -hmm. she has a son and two daughters the son dies and of the two daughters one is a clear favorite the least favorite of the two she ends up being seemingly uh inhabited by a, a ghost or some sort of satanic presence and she is killed to spare her life and her head is chopped off and <laughs> her so passionate about this movie. body is buried <laughs> separately and decades later the family her family is near the house and her sister has a daughter now and she has a vague romantic interest <laughs> okay <laughs> And as long as her daughter wears a necklace around her, she's fine. Unfortunately for her, she takes the necklace off about 60 seconds after she's introduced in the film. Mm -hmm. And the necklace is never seen again. She then starts to get drowned by the ghost who isn't even in the haunted house. She's in the community pool. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. Wow. Her friend looks like, down like, underneath like the water. Is it like a bathhouse or just like a pool that like people No, it's like no, a recreational. Just... It's like the YMCA. Yeah. So yeah. just imagine, Matt, you have two people in the YMCA. <laughs> okay. This girl walks up to her, to her not boyfriend and says, look at this cool necklace. It protects me from spirits. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. take it off now. Ooh, edgy. And, and then she takes it off and, and it, it slips through the cracks of the swimming pool and it's never Wait, referenced what, again. What cracks of the, why are there cracks in the swimming pool? The, there's like, like the little slits, you know, oh, when you oh, first yeah. get out. Yeah. Oh, like that. So she goes slits. out and she, she goes swimming so, and she okay, gets right pulled there, right underwater. There, Hold on. Wait, right there. I need to explain. There is a reason why they, they take the, the magic talisman off before you go anywhere in sense of body of water is because culturally they say that you shouldn't get your um, sacred pendant wet or anything well, or else running water she bodies was of water wearing magic. the pendant while she was swimming oh she was she's swimming <laughs> with the pendant on oh she okay. gets out 
she's he the her friend says well what's that pendant she's like it protects me from ghosts she sits it down it disappears we never see it again she plunges into the water again and then then the ghost pulls her down and starts holding her there like she owes her money and we know this it sounds like her friend looks under the water and sees a ghost just holding her there like she owes her money. And he, he comes up from under the water. And instead of being like, well, someone's holding her, he just sort of awkwardly stares. Which is how we Beautiful. really pad out the runtime of this movie. Which is just, we add in about 20 minutes of randomly staring at things. Instead of actually acting on shit. Not even in the horror movie sense. And like, I'm walking down a hallway. <laughs> I'm walking down another hallway. Look, there's my friend Kim. Hello. Like, it is turgidly boring. So, she gets attacked in the pool. She, like, slips going home from school. And we find out later that that's actually when she starts being influenced by the ghost because she's led to the ghost's remains and she opens the door and lets the ghost down. The ghost possesses her. Oh my God. What's that mean? The ghost uses her to lure her mother and her not boyfriend into a mirror dimension. We're like halfway through the movie now. Right. Okay. Wait, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. about we're about a third halfway through the movie. Right. This, is, this is a real this is a real like uh like house in the street cinema experience here. <laughs> the the grandmother who's still kicking, she goes to get the priest that that helped rid her of her first, you know, ghost family, yeah. daughter situation, whatever, gets the family practitioner to do another exorcism on the mirror. While they're doing that, the mother and the not boyfriend are in the ghost world, which is the same fucking house, except sometimes they see the daughter and sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's not really her and sometimes there's a noise, but like there's no ghost really attacking them. They just sort of see shit, I guess, sometimes. So anyway, they're in there for about 20 minutes. And nothing really happens. The priests open the portal for them to get out, but the mother gets trapped in there still. But the daughter's out now, which is what the ghost wanted because the ghost wanted her sister trapped in there so they could be there together. And then it comes out that... The grandmother now spooks the mother. See, at this point, it breaks down. (laughs) We we have a very basic. At this point. Wow. Because what happens is they start airing clips out of order. So as far as we're concerned, the mother is stuck in this alternate dimension. And she's talking to her sister. But we also see footage of the mother talking to the grandmother being chastised by her and slipping into the well where her sister was buried. And she dies there, which is supposedly the canon thing that happens. Oh, okay. But 
it's not really made clear where in the timeline this happens because we follow her for like 80% of the movie. And she disappears. So it's just sort of like something separate happened. Um, anyway, long story short, somehow everyone subconsciously knows that the grandmother shouldn't have killed the first daughter. The second daughter falls down a well and dies and is trapped there with her daughter, with her sister forever. The priests actually raped the first daughter instead of doing anything mystical. Oh, and they just sort of, the fuck? I, I, I think they get killed. Yeah, oh, they get shit. killed. Ugh. I mean, some of like the worst deaths I've seen in cinema, right? We have this huge buildup. Dude, like grandfatherly crawls his way down the steps, slowly turns and gives like a cane bump against the wall. He's like, no, ghost, don't kill me. I mean, it's like Austin Powers in the in the rolling truck, <laughs> you know, where it slowly wow. flattens. The guy's going, no, no. This fucking ghost slowly walks down the steps. I mean, it's like 10 minutes she's walking down these steps. <laughs> Finally, big climax, she gets the world's smallest meat cleaver and just sort of just sort of gives like a little cut on the side of the dude's neck and he's supposed to be dead. Oh shit. He's optum. Damn. Um, I, yeah, I mean like the, the worst part <laughs> like about this movie, movie hurts you. The worst part about this movie, <laughs> everything I said sounds words. incomprehensible <laughs> because the movie was incomprehensible. Okay. Like, I like this is not <laughs> a fault of me. Okay. I, it was I, subtitled. I, I, I love. I've read what happens. This movie is incomprehensible given the movie we're about to talk about. <laughs> the first 50 to 55, 60 minutes of this movie, nothing happens. Woman gets possessed by a ghost, trapped in a mirror world, gets swapped out with her mother. That's it. Then the last 20 minutes is this bizarre deluge of. Ooh, ghost magic, woo-woo-woo, swapping positions. That doesn't make sense. We have random interspersed flashbacks that they don't really tell you when it's a flashback or not. But the real worst thing about it is the movie is shot really well. Really? Okay. Yeah, color grading's great. They've really, they've limited effects, but the ones they have are really nice. Um... Yeah, coloring's nice, set design is fine, but fuck, dude, it's written so badly, it's nothing. I think it sounded like they couldn't it's get... It's nothing! No, like, I mean, it sounds like they couldn't get the rights to talk about the true family or story or something, so, so they made up another story that's like... Own, the only thing that's true to it is only based on the locate the house itself, but it has nothing to do with the urban legend that that was. Dude, told. it is. It's an eighty-four minute tech demo for whoever the cinematographer yeah. in this movie is. Yeah, that could, that's a good. I thing. mean, like <laughs> I came away from the because like the Sean Valentino movies fail in all respects and they're gross and creepy, right? Yeah. This is a movie where, I, like, I, like, I felt like it wouldn't have wasted my time this badly. Wow. You know? 
At least going into the Sean Valentino thing, I knew this yeah. was a waste of my time. Okay, yeah, sure. But this was like, it could have been a decent B-movie if they just did anything other than stop, drop, and lay there. I yeah. mean, Jesus, fuck. The, the, the effects they have in this are terrible. It's so boring. <laughs> I should put on the Instagram a supercut of people reacting to ghosts. By just standing there and looking scared. It's 2023, motherfuckers! (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) So what's your final read? Yeah, what's your full breakdown here, Ben? Zero charms, and I'll give it one star. I'll give it a half star for the cinematography. Yeesh. Right. Um, so you haven't seen this yet, Monty. So and no, Monty, for next week, you for next week, it. Monty, this is not an assignment. This is an order. <laughs> you are going to watch that fucking movie because you told me to watch it. You are going to suffer through this nonsense too. <laughs> I don't want you watching at two times speed. I want you watching the full damn thing. I will watch it. It's not a not not's gonna stop me about it. I want to see how I, I feel about the film. So. But from what you've seen, I told you, I said, can't be you worse did not. than. Yeah, I said, I can't, it can't be worse than, than that movie. So I knew that I was. That's not a warning. That's a comment, Monty. <laughs> the murder mystery of murder, murder mystery movie. No, no, no. I would, I told, I told Ben, I said that I was. I heard some really bad reviews on this one, and I know uh, so far he I've did been not it say that. I did. He did not say I that. I did. I did say. You did that. not say really bad reviews. I heard you, some you bad like, reviews. Okay, what's the Canadian Monty version of this? Oh, Ben, I heard some. I heard some <laughs> feedback on this movie, and it was less than what I'd I expect. Think, I don't think Monty. I don't think I sound like, like a Muppet. Alright. <laughs> no. <laughs> We have a third movie to get to here. The um, the assignment that we gave Matt yeah. was for a movie that we both watched last week, but we ended up getting to talk about wrestling a little too much. <laughs> and the original release of this was The Color of Pomegranates. Well, But no. the intended release name of it was Syat Nova. Now, Monty, this was your original suggestion, but I know Matt... Has done a lot of research into this, so Matt, give us uh, give us the deets. take my homework seriously well in order to understand the uh the color pomegranate or well the official title of the movie is say is say at nova by calling it the color pomegranate you're using the ussr's edited terminology for it so i I really want to throughout the throughout the podcast we're going to refer to it as say at nova which is the uh content of the movie but 
In order to understand this movie, what I think is important is to understand who Sergei, uh, Sergei Paranov, Parjanov, however you say his name. I don't speak Georgian slash Armenian slash Ukrainian. Um, what, who he is, uh, is a filmmaker who was born in 1924 behind the Iron Curtain in the USSR of Georgia. Now, as a young child, he was a, uh, he was destined to be a musician um, and a singer. Um, but as time went on, he began to fall in love with film and want to make movies. Now, he started his film career rather early in the 50s, um, but at the time, he was really only making uh, films written for him and given to him by the USSR. These were uh, movies that he, to this, that at this point in time, by his death, completely disowned. He said every movie that he made prior to 1965 is garbage um he would not allow those movies to be made he would not allow those movies to be considered part of his filmmaking career now he was inspired by a very a very important movie um a movie that many of us have seen or i i don't i don't know if many of us have seen it andre tarkarski's 1962 uh movie or no, yeah, 1962 movie ivan's childhood now, this is one of those movies that is also regularly considered to be one of the greatest movies in cinema. Um, a revolutionary film that for, um, uh, for Sergei really opened his eyes and changed him. Sergei is uh, quoted as saying, Tarkovsky, who was younger than I by 12 years, was my teacher and mentor. He was, he was the first in Ivan's childhood to use images of dreams and memories to present allegory and metaphor. Tarkovsky helped people decipher the poetic metaphor. Now, what makes Sergei Parkov so important to cinema is that he was not only making films under the USSR and in Russia, um, but at the time, what was supposed to be being made, and when I say supposed to be made, the films and cinema that was being produced behind the Iron Curtain was very edited and very censored by the USSR. Um, we've talked about the famous animated film, The Hand, which we will at some point be assigned to one of you to watch, which was another piece of animation and, and cinema that was harshly edited and censored by the USSR because it went against the imagery that the USSR wanted, which was a, a genre of film called socialist realism. Now, what we see uh, par... Uh, Sergei Parovod, Par I can't cannot say his fucking name. How do you someone say it? Ben, say his name. Andre Tarkovsky. No, Sergei Parovov. We're talking. We're, we're done talking about Tarkovsky. <laughs> Sergei Sergei Parajanov. Yes, sir. Yeah, you said it right. Sergei Parajanov. Um, I'll refer to him as Sergei um, throughout the rest of the things. Saying his last name is gonna fuck him every time I read it. Um, he saw Tarkovsky's work and was completely moved. Um, he had a talent for cinema, a talent and a love for poetry and art and filmmaking, but wasn't really doing anything with it yet. Now, with the release of his uh, his first film, uh, his first, I guess, first film of his mature era, as he would refer to it, The Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, um, while working in what is now modern day Ukraine, um, he really took his first step into challenging what he was supposed to be making. 
um, went on and really made his own additional material. He pushed the limits of what the USSR would allow him to make, making a film reflecting on Ukrainian history and Ukrainian um, folk his folklore. Um, and this is where we really see where his own style becomes to be cemented. This kind of poetic surrealism. Uh, and what we get with the color of pomegranate or, or Seat Nova is um, Tarkovsky's, or not Tarkovsky's, um, Sergei Parovov's desire to make a our film about an Armenian legend, a, a bard of sorts, uh, mm-hmm. a man who presented and represented a whole social movement, an artistic movement for the Armenian and the Georgian people whose culture and history was being harshly repressed by the USSR. Now, not only did he set out to make this movie, but he set out to make a film at the time that was never seen. Um, really what is considered to be his own innovative style of cinema, his own innovative style of storytelling, and his own methodology of perv- using the art of cinema. Not just using the using cinema to tell a story, but truly playing with making movies that can only be filmed. Um, Tarkovsky as a famous filmmaker talks regularly about the visual poet poeticism of film and how when you're making movies you should be making things that can be made no other way which is why so much of his movies are filled with silence and are all are very much reminiscent of composition and visuality which we see influence directors like Wes Anderson and uh, Jodorowsky who fell deeply in love with using color and framing to tell very particular stories. And a lot of that comes from the influence of people like Tarkovsky and like Sergei. Um, also it- to, to add on to that, um, I, I think a lot of what we're going to see in the movie and the style is directly influenced by social realism and just the, uh, the style of filmmaking that emanated from the Soviet Union, both through its formation to uh, to that present. Yeah, it if was, you look at some of the earliest uh, so, uh, Soviet propaganda films, mm-hmm. the structure and the use of cinematography in particular is very emblematic of the type of pacing that you see in the color of pomegranates. Yeah. And I mean, that's the filmmaking world he comes from and from this whole kind of Russian film movement in the sixties. But what you, you see is a surrealist understanding and kind of poetic delivery of the life of a famous bard, Satek Nova. Now the film very thematically and poetically kind of leads you through the life of this character through visual. There's almost no dialogue in this movie. There's a bit of narration overhand, but what he's doing is, is using surrealism to capture what is on the, the page and is, is on in the story. And, and Scorsese, who is largely responsible for getting the, the cut of the movie we have today released and brought back to us, is, is noted as saying that when he saw this movie, he came out having learned nothing about Seta Nova, but being moved beyond words by the beauty of the poetry on the screen. Um, and I think that's what leads to so much of the praise and love for this movie. Um, Seta Nova is truly a revolutionary piece of cinema. Um, it falls into that category for me person. It falls into the category for me personally, 
um, of a movie of a piece of art that can only be a piece of cinema. And and and, and just to just to elucidate on that a bit, Matt. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is? Like, try and consolidate. What What do you think it is that makes this film so wholly unique? Well, uh, I well, it's incredibly influential. I think the uniqueness of it has been kind of reiterated now. But what I sure, think, but unique for its era, for for unique for what it is, and what makes it revolutionary is that it captures poetry as film. Mm-hmm. Um, both both Tarchovsky and and, uh, and Paranova are notorious for speaking about how important the way the movie makes you feel through its images are. It's not about the story. It's about time. It's about the mystical, magical power of this art form. And what makes this movie so beautiful and so incredible is that dedication to metaphor and poetry put to film the use of color choreography um it truly is every inch of this movie is a piece of art and like, i think every, in a, it's like you're staring at a paintings of someone's mm-hmm. dream and that's how i remembered yeah. it yeah and i think it's I very think, david mamet anyone oh, oh. i was gonna I thought you were say david lynch um I think what makes this movie very interesting and having seen um, some of Tarchovsky's movies and having not seen this until the first time for this podcast is that when you watch a Tarchovsky movie, you can tell that he was a photographer. His Uh, use of composition and image is so like bleeds into his films, which lead to these kind of like the love and notoriety they have for their visualies, these long takes, you know, the image of a woman sitting there watching her home burn to the ground is so uniquely magical and loved. And what I think you see in this movie and what you see by researching and listening to the music and poetry of Sayat Nova is that this movie is that, but from a composer. It, it is like so visualized would... bardic music. Like I listened to a large amount of the music of not a large amount, but a, a, a good amount of uh, Sayat Nova's music and having listened songs. to it after seeing the movie, it truly changes and like gives such a like beautiful enriching feeling because this visual poetry fits so beautifully with the uh, poetry of this uh, Armenian, Georgian slash Turkish um, poet and folk hero. I, I So I like to tweak what you said a bit there, Matt. How dare artistically you? Changing my words. For, for, uh, for this movie. Because I agree with you. It is a very stylistic movie. Um, it's a very influential movie. But mm-hmm. I feel that what it does isn't something... That's necessarily all fully true and new through itself, but rather it's distilling previously existing ideas in a direction that we would not have necessarily seen otherwise. Right. Sure. This is in many ways a rejection of the French new waves rejection of classical Hollywood. Mm, right. Okay. And, and, and that's really in, in many ways, the three schools of, of thought, uh, I, I mean, you could really, for the most part, these are the three main schools of thought is you have American Hollywood, big budget, 
big band, big people, big emotions. French New Wave takes that and it eschews it in favor of like down, gritty, personal, uh, interconnected relationships, real people, real problems. The third version of that, the more David Mamet school here, is imagery. Mm-hmm. These are a series of images. Yep. You glean what you want from them. Nosferatu yep. falls in this category. Yeah, the, the impressive and stylist kind of, of like lens of cinema. It's it's uninflected shots. And what this film does so well and so uniquely is that all of the images you see are completely removed from reality. Yeah, they're completely like, this dreamlike. is as if it's a it's a it's a picture book or or you're mm-hmm. trying to draw someone's mind. Yeah, they're paintings. Or it's it's not a grounded like there's a structure to it, there's a mm-hmm. story to it. Yeah, the light but of the each sky. individual thing isn't coherently together without some sort of context to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Tarchovsky speaks to that point where it's the reason his movies are edited and done in such a way. And he was intentionally doing things. Like you said, he would, he would film a scene in a way that would remind him of what the French new wave or what American cinematographers had done. And then he would go out of his way to either edit or film it again in a way that eschews or changes some aspect of that. Um, which directly inspired Sergei Parkhadov's desire to make this such surreal, dreamlike world. Now, Monty, this was your film. Yeah. That you suggested to both of us. What What do you enjoy from this? I just like the... There's something captivating. Now, mind you, I didn't go into too much detail about this film, and the last time I saw it was a while now, but it's always been... One of those films that I keep in my collection that I can I can go back to at any time, mm-hmm. at any point. I just love this is one of the introductions to this style of filming. Like when you guys it was it, yeah, it was it was one of the first films that that got me into these these art house style films. And when you guys introduced me to um, uh, uh, Holy Mountain. Yeah, and and all these, I was just like, oh my god, um, I I want to find uh, more films like this, even Faust. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, was, 19, was I, I wanted to mention, which is also from the same part of the world. Yeah, um, it's it's it, it's very much inspired by this kind of Eastern European um, style of filmmaking that came out of the Soviet Union. And it was an evolution of, like Ben said, like the yeah. impre- the German Impressionist movement, where it's about the image and the view and the dream and, and, and this pushed that. And then I, yeah. I, you know, like people talk about how Wes Anderson movies look like they're filmed in dollhouses. Um, both this movie and I, well, I think especially this movie um, and like Jodorowsky's work really preempt that, that whole style of filmmaking is so evident in this, like certain scenes in this look like they're, I mean, they all look like they're pictures, you know, like, yeah. like visual art of a metaphorical poem. Of someone um, like destroying something, or you know, it's uh, or dancing, or that roundabout. It just feels like a, a dream. 
and and that's mm-hmm. what I I enjoyed about this film, and that's how I'm just gonna get deep in my heart. That's why I knew when I met you guys, like mm-hmm. I know that we could be friends because you guys have more insights into this, and this is what I was looking for. Right, mm-hmm. I was looking for someone that has a similar view into these type of films or enjoys these type of films right and that's no. why i've been holding on to this film for a very long time like to to find an opportunity to show it to you guys um but yeah like for me uh this holy mountain faust like i really like these type of films it's too bad i there's not many of them. In oh, there. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep, Monty, soon. Okay, okay. Your 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 so, homework yeah. for when you return. But my, it's just, I guess the same way how because I don't know too much uh, history about this. So when I was introduced to this film was like pre-internet time. Okay. I just knew from my friends who are Armenian and who are also uh, come from a long line of artists. Um, they told me that this film was definitely something to watch. It is about a poet. It's portraying, uh, uh, you know, the poet. Uh, it's like a semi-autobiography about the poet. But yeah. and, but for me, very loosely. I, I didn't, I didn't walk away with that. Like I walked into it with that a few sentences of what this movie is, but I got blown away from the imagery. The sets, mm-hmm. the and, how everything was laid out, like that's what I took away from it, and that's mm-hmm. why it's one of my I, top ten movies in, um, on my shelf. Yeah, and, and the, Monty, the I think imagery you distill is particularly exactly what's important about the movie. It's not about yeah. like, oh, I now know the life and times of of uh, of Sate uh, Sate Nova. It's about the way the images make you feel. That's what um, Tarkovsky yeah, ab- talks abstract. about as the truth. It's surrealism. It's it's, it's surrealism, surrealism. Yeah, put yeah, to yeah, film. Yeah. I mean, Holy yeah. Mountain takes a whole different, like punk rock angle to it, which is you know Jodorowsky's own, you know, expression of this kind of cinema. But yeah, this and it's is like, how, like I truly think what ben, dreamlike. What Ben said it best about Holy Mountain is, if it's a movie about if like what if the Bible was written to into days what what if the bible was a movie yeah, instead of yeah. a instead of a book yeah yes yeah and and that's what i felt the the power of the artistry of that film uh, and it reminded me a lot about this film hence why i went mm-hmm. back and decided to say hey guys check us out and i want to hear what your thoughts are and what you they, guys you, what you guys got from it there right? could be a whole series about trying to break down the various levels of energy in each frame of of this movie and that's yeah. what film school is for Cause, because yeah pretty much this is, because these are these is the most like art house film school movie of art house film. it's this in tarkovsky's it, films yeah it it really is just because you can tell each frame is delicately placed for certain reasons mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. Why is the kid holding the chicken in his left hand instead of his right? Why is he petting him and the chickens like getting red on him? Why are we showing three animals getting slaughtered here? I mean, like each one has its own, uh, but sure. But, but why? Yeah. But why individual frame has its 
own like its own meaning that that mm-hmm. could be deduced from it. You know, Matt, is there is there any visual from the movie that particularly stands out to you? Um, the one that I think, I mean, and a lot of people I think have pointed this one out, but it's the uh, the image of the pomegranates crushing and then them forming the border of the original Armenian Empire. Yeah, I certainly did not know the border of the Armenian Empire originally. Mm-hmm. So that one was lost on me. Well, because it's, reading it's, it's, it's it afterwards, me, it's the most it's watching it like because like. When you see that in conjunction with the rest of the film, it makes me instantly want to know why that's being filmed. And I, and outside the the that one is incredible because you could tell it feels like a revolution, like a fuck you moment, and you don't know why. And then when you find out why, it's that much more uh, incredible. But I, in addition to that, I think the imagery that most it was the most understandable. I think in a sense, um, at least especially my first time watching it, which is where the um, um sata nova as an old man is dying um and his younger self is descending from the ceiling handing him wooden angel wings yeah i loved the the boy sort of like hanging there oh on swinging? a string it was very uh silent film mm-hmm. era like well ooh, even the little like tableaus damn. we see are really silent filmy they are yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that there were tableaus describing things, and then the actual words spoken in the scenes mm-hmm. were really just extra window dr- yeah. window dressing. Um, I I was captivated by the scenes with, I I don't know what exactly she is, but she seems to be sort of like the the forger of time. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't as, know what you're as she ke- as she's stitching out these uh these black white and red tapestries which i believe are actual like depictions of um his uh, his poetry like from his book that he wrote very cool yeah sate sate nova we have sayat nova we have all of his original poems um, because he wrote them down after he became a monk the history of sayat nova is this incredibly interesting thing that you kind of see in the movie where you don't get is that he was um at the time was a bard you know for lack of a better expression um and he became very well known um by because at the time uh in the 17th century in the 18th century it was a movement of change amongst um the regional language because we are in like the late stages of the armenian language becoming formalized um, whereas prior to that, for the hundred years prior, the spoken language, the spoken dialect of the region was really a mixture of like, of Ukrainian, of, of Armenian, of Georgian and of Turkish. And he was a notoriously famous and for this era of music that's referred to as like love music, like the love of life and the love of the world. Um, this kind of like joyous uplifting music of the time was blending together all three languages in his in his poetry and his songs um where and interestingly enough which lends itself to all of the like christian and spiritual imagery of this film and of uh sergey parov's other films is that in the later life before we got all of his uh his songs and in writing written down he actually left the uh the world of bardness of like being like a musician 
um, and became a priest or like a monk. Um, we don't have the exact information, but Syed Nova himself eventually left the world of art and became a dedicated monk who wrote down and translated countless uh, texts into Some Armenian of the and other languages. Funniest scenes in this movie mm-hmm. are him being a monk. Yeah. And being surrounded by literal sheep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He they, and, and, they, and, and they are lo- they are quite animals in his movies. They are quite heavy-handed yeah. when it comes <laughs> to their uh, opinions on the church in this film. Well, he actually, yeah, I mean, it's funny because yeah. because Parov had a deep reverence for the church. He, like, loved his faith. He was, like, a very spiritual man, despite him being, like, crazy. Well, I'm glad he like, did because the director certainly didn't. No, that's what I'm saying. The director did. Even his, Really? Yeah, he did not hate the church. He actually was really religious. Really? He just used he, the imagery to convey... Like, his his criticism of it was was pretty evident from our interpretation of it. But he was deeply connected um, to his both like the original mysticism and um, stories of the Armenian and Georgian people. Um, But also like at the time and with the way the stories were, all of those mysticisms had been connected to the church. Um, Hmm. And the USSR was had a deep rejection of faith. Um, We we can kind of talk about in all the things we've said about this movie um are incredibly evident and and moving and impactful and every single one of them got this man deeply in trouble with the ussr who not only hated his first movie but very much well his first movie of his mature era but very harshly came down on him for this movie um after this movie comes out he ends up in a gulag for five years um under charges of like political um, like indecency, but primarily for sexuality. Um, he was, to some accounts, pretty openly bisexual. Um, and, and, and some historians quoted as a clear preference for men. Um, and in the USSR at the time, this was very illegal um, and was used as the primary reason for his arrest. Because after this film was released or attempted to be released, it was edited and changed and taken control of by the USSR who loathed its use of religious imagery, its its use of storytelling, and, and its its departure from what was considered like proper Soviet filmmaking, um, especially for its use and veneration of Armenian um, heritage and Armenian folklore, which was trying to be erased by the USSR, who wanted the only memory to be of the USSR. Um, you know, they obstinately, after taking control of the area and, and, and pushing into the Caucasus, which happened after uh, Syat Nova's kind of like time in the in in the culture, um, eventually ended up building a like so a specifically Soviet piece of architecture in the center of the original capital of Armenia with a giant statue of Lenin in front of it. You know what? I, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off there, yeah, but yeah. I want to also hear what, from as a film student, like what did he get, like what what did he get out watching this one? Like what was the the feeling he got from through this film? Who? Ben. Oh. Because oh. I'm well, here, I've me. been waiting, as, waiting as, as me. for that. No. <laughs> um. I. I've, I I sort of get the same I, I get the same ballpark as Matt. 
Yeah. Matt and I were talking about this just a smidge before we start recording, and I think yeah. Matt was taking the film more as a uh, vibes-only journey, whereas with no. me, I'm I'm a lot more interested in the cinematography. Well, I think and the putting together of it all. That I, I, what I was saying is that's what's important about it. What I think is not important no. about this movie is like interpreting like why like like i don't think it's important to look at this movie as like the story that's being told like what's being done with the craft of cinema and being put onto screen is incredibly important um and there is a story and there are things to interpret from it but what's important is the truth of how it makes you feel um the truth of the experience of watching it which and Sergei's uh, like quotes and talking about the film later is something that he viewed as again a very important part of it. It's what him and Tarkovsky, when they became friends and, and colleagues, really kind of hammered in about the importance of what they were doing with the art form of cinema. And there's a lot yeah. of good vibes. Yeah, that that's about right. That yeah. sounds about right. No, I mean I thought it was a movie of of completeness Mm -hmm. that was the vibe Mm -hmm. i got from this movie it was a movie that seemed more somber than happy yeah but one that ultimately by the time it reached the end of his life by the time it reached the end of the movie Mm -hmm. it wasn't a somber end it was yes this was my life and it is over now yes yeah it has a completion to it, like a so sense of we, a sense of you are you are at the end of a journey, which I think is really impactful when it comes to like the poetic feeling the film provides. So I I know we're running a little bit beyond time, but I'm curious, how would you all rate this film, starting with Matt? Okay, so well, I think it's hard to not say it's a five out of five when it comes to craft. Mm-hmm. Um, like cinematic ability, presentation, all that, blah, 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 blah. It's incredible. It's a masterpiece. Now, when it comes to how charming it is, that this is interesting for me because okay. I do not love these kinds of movies. Um, oh. I appreciate them deeply. And I think they're incredible. And, and, and the story of Sergei Parjanov and in this era of filmmaking is incredible. But like, I'm not sitting down to watch, uh, you know, say at Nova on like Wednesday with the boys. No, um, no. and, and I will do very, that. I will man, do that. What a like group whole... of boys that would be. Yeah. I yeah. Feel and, like this and I is would do that. A, a personal, you know, a, a, a very, very personal type. There's, of film that you there's watch. a great, there's a great quote from a guardian article about it that says in order to truly in, engage with this movie, you have to walk 15 miles from your home and see it under the element of needing to be fully filled by it. Um, mm, man, I'd be shot if I did that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, I would love to see this movie in that context. And I think like, if I watch this, like if, if this ever was projected on screen at a theater, I'd go and see it. But yeah. am I, when it comes to the charm scale, which for me is like a, <clears throat> how much of a good fucking time did I have? I, I give this like a two and a half, maybe a 2.75 out of four charms. <laughs> I don't think that detracts Fair. 
from like the incredible impact the film has, but I'm not like jazzed after watching it. I'm passionate because I'm passionate about film and about cinematography and about this art form, this like art form that I truly love, but I'm not like super charmed by it. Like I'm never going to go back and, and rewatch Ivan's childhood. I know film people who will. And I know like, like it could be pariah to say that, like, I have no interest in rewatching these movies. Um, but I'd rather watch something like Holy Mountain 10 times or enter the void before I'd rewatch, you know, the color of pomegranate or, you know, say at Nova and Ivan's childhood, those kind of era of films. So I, two like, and, would 2.75. You... Would your charm equate to, let's say, film like the one that you showed me, Faust? No, Faust. Faust. Faust is a hell of a movie. Faust is yeah. is is to me is is the evolution of this in a different direction too. And same with Jodorowsky's, where Jodorowsky's version of this kind of cinema of filmmaking is is different. This is like I. It's interesting because I've been reading a lot about these three directors that I've mentioned throughout this podcast, and all of them have some connection to like spirituality and folklore and and like counter movements. Um, but I think what sets apart some of them is how mystical they are, where there's a lot of mystical imagery in this. But what I what I need to be truly charmed by this kind of art house cinematography like film is yeah. this like grander bombast to it that you get out of a movie like Faust or Holy Mountain or El Topo, this additional layer of like, they, they all, you know, Joe Dorosky talks about this constantly about the, the amazing impact of transcendental meditation and mm. what that meant to him as a filmmaker and the art he made. And both uh, Sergei uh, Parvlov and Tarchovsky talk about um, like transcendental meditation and spirituality, but I don't think they, the way they express it doesn't speak to me as deeply as some other films might. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. like, it's like a flavor thing in yeah. a sense. Yeah. I, uh, to, to piggyback off Matt, this is a five out of five movie. Yeah. hundred percent. But what should a movie be? And that's what the charm scale is. Charm scale is like how much fun did we have with it? Yeah. I had a lot of fun watching this cuz oh. I'm cuz I was a film student. So yeah. I give it like a 3 out of 4 charms. Ooh, nice. Um okay. I feel like I mean Matt gave it 2 and 3 quarters. So I mean it's pretty much the same score. I think we're we're, we're in a similar kind of area with it's, one another. Yeah. yeah. It's a movie where I'll only watch it again in the right circumstances. Yep. It's a movie where every time I watch it, I feel like I got to start a podcast series, like one episode per scene. Yeah. Mm. Which, uh, no thanks. Um, but I feel like it's more of a class exercise of film mm-hmm. rather than something designed for people to enjoy. Yeah, it's something to yeah, experience. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an incredibly moving film for it's certain some, people. It, it's something to respect. Mm-hmm. It's something to stare in awe of. It's not... It, you're not going to watch it after Barbie. <laughs> no, you'd rather <laughs> watch Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. 
Monty. So, so Monty, before yeah. we get to our homework for next week, do you have any final thoughts? No, nothing. I I I I agree with your your thing, and I'm I'm happy that I managed to get this in front of your this film in front of your lenses. Uh, and yeah, but I, I was I was actually shocked when Matt said this is not his type of film. I thought it would be. No, no, like when I say it's not my type of film, Monty, I don't mean that this isn't a movie I love. It's just not like. No, we know what you mean, Matt. The movies. We know what you mean. (laughs) If he doesn't, I do. I I would rather watch Climax. I would rather watch uh, the, the, The Mask of Red Death by Robert Corman in 1964. Ooh. I gotta check that. That's a spoiler alert for what Ben's gonna have to watch next week. Oh, so Matt, yes. Since you were gone, you requested beforehand to give Monty and I each a piece of homework. Yes. So because of that, I will abdicate my assignment to Monty. Okay. So that Monty, you may still give Matt an assignment. For next week. Now, Monty, while you finalize your plan, I know, Matt, you already have stuff set in the chamber here. Oh, I'm locked in. So tell me, what are we getting on deck for next week's episode? So I on deck, first up, is something that must be mentioned. Um, A longtime subject of this podcast has been the Dallas, Texas musician Gone Mage. Um, and this young gentleman has released a brand new piece of music, taking Woo! his traditional style and pushing it to even new lenses and new realms. And it's about basketball. Ben, I, you and uh-huh. I will both be listening to it. And Monty, I, I implore you to take up this extra credit and listen to this as well. Okay. The uh, brand new released Celestial Invocation by Gone Mage. Um, Celestial Invocation is a swift turn in Gone Mage's journey. The playbook takes a cosmic twist, morphing into a lively pop space opera where the fate of a planet hinges on an intergalactic basketball tournament spurred by an alien mech invasion. Is this this Space Jam? Not quite. Um, I was going to say. Is this this a movie or an album? (laughs) This, um, in in the story of um the gone mage uh universe caligram we're, we're gonna have to go over it next week anyway yeah, yeah we'll go over it but, <laughs> we'll, but we'll go over it next he, week he yeah. came across this through story. celestial invocation by gone mage is your first piece of homework and i implore all of the charmers out there give this album a listen um i'm i won't spoil what's about to happen um but i highly recommend it now i do have a second piece of homework um that, all right monty huh it's up for Monty. Oh yeah. So for Monty, so when you when we see you again, Monty, yeah. um, I wanted to provide a piece of sixty cinema that I do really like. Um Ooh, I have okay. I have a lot of problems with cinema from the sixties, especially American sixty cinema. It really bores the fuck out of me. Um, but there is a man. There's a man named Roger Corman, um, who is an American film director, producer, and actor. Um, he is, he is sometimes known by his monikers of the Pope of pop cinema, the spiritual godfather of new Hollywood and the king of cult. And is known as a trailblazer in the world of independent film. And one of my favorite films of his, 
um, that I watched for my 31 and 31, my tradition of watching 31 horror films in the month of October, is the 1964 edition of The Mask of Red Death, starring Vincent Price. Um, that is Ooh, my nice. homework for you, Monty. I'm very okay. excited. For this. Ben, I also implore you to watch this. Um, I think the compared to what we just watched and how much we've talked about Holy Mountain and Jodorowsky, the use of color and cinematography in this movie is something to be uh, dived into. I'm going to see if I can find it. But, okay. Um, and so, I, well, so wait, I got Monty, a homework. you're gone. I got, I got a homework from... Ben to watch Minshong and then I have this. Yeah, well, you got, okay. you got enough got time. Well, well, yeah, I you know, Monty, films. you shouldn't get to decide shit because you're going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, I have other you're gonna, homework you're gonna I can be, do So Monty's going to be gone for the next two weeks. He's going into reconnaissance. Ooh. Reconnaissance. Yeah, I'm going into Ben's closet to find out what, what Matt was doing in there. <laughs> I have a really big closet, guys. It's called an apartment in L.A. Wow. AKA a closet. Jesus. It's not New York. Have you have you ever have you been following the 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 New York uh housing world right now? It's incredible. No, it's like depressing for me to like look at real estate. 800 square foot apartments. It's ridiculous. 1500 a month. They just opened up apartments near us for a one bedroom like 750 square foot apartment is i think $3500 before fees sweet jesus oh my god oh i'm sorry it was 550 square feet oh my <laughs> so 550 shoot. square feet one bedroom apartment have you heard for $3500 have a you month. ever heard of the midwest or the east coast that's a discussion for another time. So, man, I, I guess I guess I'm going to have to uh, recommend something to yeah, you here. Yeah, give me. I I mean, I I could take president. I have another. I have another piece of homework. So, what? Well, Matt, I don't want you to take any presidents oh. here. <laughs> I want. I like being president. Oh snap! But I'll give you some options. Okay, we'll narrow right. this down All together. Right. All right. This is what I like about want... homework. This is closer to the universal design for learning. I appreciate it. This is good pedagogy, Ben. Would you like something with grappling or without grappling? Ooh, is the is the without grappling? Does it involve? You do not get to ask any additional questions. Well, this is a shitty game. Um, no, it, it, it's I wanted, fun. I, want, I wanted to narrow it down a little bit more. You know what? For the sake for the sake of you, Ben, because I appreciate you, I'll say with <laughs> grappling. Okay, very nice. Then Matt, I will ask you one more question. Okay, all right. Do you want it to be historical? Oh, or more modern day? So so pre twenty first century, post twenty first century. Ooh. Hmm. Oh, that's hard. Um, I'll say post twenty first century. Okay. Because we we just had a a little dip back into the past. Let's uh, let's let's bring it a little closer to the present. And you did talk about a twenty fifteen match, but whatever. 
And my final question to you. Okay. Do you want boots <laughs> or no boots? Ooh, um, no boots. Then next time, Matt, we are going to talk about wrestling, but not just any wrestling, the national sport of Mongolia, Mongolian wrestling, bulk. At least, at least I think it's pronounced bulk. Just we'll find out next week. All right, and to send us out, I felt like it would only be fair to read a pro a poem from Sayat Nova. Are you gonna read it I in its original Armenian, Turkish, or Georgian? A translated oh. poem: <laughs> "The Youth and the Streamlet." Down from yon distant mountain, the streamlet finds its way. And through the quiet village, it flows in eddying play. A dark youth left his doorway and sought the waterside. And laving there his hands and brow, O oh, streamlet sweet, he cried. Say, from what mountain comest thou? From yonder mountain cold, where snow on snow lay sleeping, the new snow on the old. Unto what river, tell me, fair streamlet, dost thou flow? I flow unto the river, where clustering violets grow. Sweet streamlet, to what vineyard, say, dost thou take thy way? The vineyard where the vine dresser is at his work today. What plant where wilt thou water? The plant who's upon whose roots? The lambs feed where the windflower blooms, and orchard bears sweet fruits. What garden wilt thou visit? O water cool and fleet, the garden where the nightingale sings tenderly and sweet. Into what fountain flows thou, the fountain to whose brink? Thy love comes down at morn and eve and bends her face to drink. There shall I meet the maiden who is to be thy bride, and kiss her chin, and with her love my soul be satisfied. But do not fear, my little friend. I will not cause her harm. Because, in the end, the fourth time is the charm. What? what? Oh, what a what? savage uh, Yo, edition. man. I gotta go get a new pair of underwear. So. <laughs> I am good morning. <laughs> I, I feel like that offends Sonic Nova's story, but I love it so much. I love it. Follow us on Instagram <laughs> forever with the underground. At fourth time the charm at four two 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 dollars. Talk to y'all later.